Today's scripture is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3-19. through 19. Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words. From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among those who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called for and for which you were made the good. Confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it is he alone who has an immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes of uncertainty on riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of the good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Here's one thing that I know. People love to point out hypocrisy in the church. And in a way that's terrible because, of course, there are a bunch of hypocrites in the church. None of you here, of course, today. I'm just saying in general, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church because we are a bunch of sinners. Right? We're no better than anybody else. We're trying to follow the words and the teachings of Jesus, but we know we're going to screw it up a lot. So we're counting on Jesus to be the one to save us. Right? We don't save ourselves by somehow being perfectly aligned with the will and the commandments of God. No, we trust God to be the one to save us with mercy and grace. We're trying to get it right in terms of how we live. We do great things as a church, but a lot of the time we screw up. And so we look like hypocrites, saying one thing, doing another. 
A lot of times when people point fingers at the church and they say, look at those hypocrites, I think they're actually misunderstanding what a church actually is. But sometimes, sometimes, I think it is actually helpful for people to point out the hypocrisy of the church, even of its leaders, because sometimes that's the only way that people are going to see that they've strayed from the path, strayed from walking in the way of Jesus. So, this morning, I'm going to tell you about an Instagram account, and you tell me whether you think it's positive or negative to call out the, hypo- the hypocrisy of church leaders in this way. It's an account called Preachers and Sneakers. Anybody ever heard of Preachers and Sneakers? Rebecca is with me. Thank you. Maybe somebody online has also seen Preachers and Sneakers. Well, it is run by someone who wants to stay anonymous, but they are very obviously Christians. They're obviously evangelical, and they know a lot about popular evangelical church leaders, and they know a lot about shoes, whoever runs this account. So much do they know about shoes that they are able to take photos or videos of preachers preaching and then figure out what shoes those preachers are wearing, or in some cases their belts or their shirts, and then they share with the world how much the pastor spent on their clothes. And they spent a lot. All right, I brought a few examples. The first one here, the worst example, is from a pastor named Mike Todd, who preaches at a mega church in Tulsa called Transformation Church. So this is a photo. It's kind of hard for you guys to see. But there he is preaching in his tennis shoes, which are off-white retro Air Jordans that can only be found in Europe, but you can find them on the resale market in the United States for, you might see on the graphic, $3,000. $3,000. Next example, a photo of a pastor named Chad Veach from Zoe Church in Los Angeles. Now, this is a photo that Chad himself posted of himself on social media in very deep thought and $1,000 boots. Third one, uh, uh, a pastor uh, from uh, Hillsong Church, Stephen Furtick. Here he is in a sweatshirt that costs 500 bucks. Now, the creator of Preachers and Sneakers who won't give his name but has given interviews to media, he claims that his aim is not to pass judgment on these preachers, but rather to inform people and to start a conversation. I'm not sure there's not at least a hint of judgment in what he's doing, but okay, that's what he says. But it does start an interesting conversation, I think. Is it appropriate for a pastor to wear $1,000 shoes? I mean, they get paid a salary, Can't they spend their money any way they want? What if they have a bunch of money from book sales and speaking engagements? There are some preachers who would say that it's important for them to be well-dressed, really well-dressed, actually, because it's a sign of the church's prosperity and success. That they're kind of like a walking billboard for how well their church is doing. How do those arguments fit for you? Do any of them persuade you that it's okay for a preacher to wear $1,000 shoes or a $500 belt or a $2,500 blazer? Do you think that they get to do whatever they want to do with their money? Or is there something off, something wrong, about a preacher spending that much money on clothes? How are we as Christian people supposed to relate to money? 
That's the fundamental question behind the conversation around preachers and sneakers. How are we as Christian people to deal with money? That's actually also the fundamental question raised by our almost true statement of the day. And that statement is, money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. Now, this is a very common phrase. We can hear people repeat it in lots of different contexts. It shows up on TV, uh, on uh, movies. And it certainly doesn't take long for us to look around the world and see places where there's a lot of money and also a lot of evil. Like rock stars who spend their free time doing cocaine and paying for sex. Or how about corporations who cheat and bribe to avoid regulation to keep their profits high? I think about the activity of big tobacco in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Or how about the shenanigans that goes on in politics where money buys a whole lot of attack ads that are full of falsehood and lies? Yeah, money and evil, they seem to kind of go hand in hand, which is why the statement is almost true. Almost true. This phrase, money is the root of all evil, it's so almost true that it has been quoted by a whole lot of famous people. I brought some examples. Ben Affleck, always a source of wisdom, he said, <laughs> anybody that tells you that money is the root of all evil doesn't have any. Now, Ben probably didn't know it, but he was actually almost quoting Mark Twain, who said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. Of course, Twain made a lot of money and then lost a lot of money and then made a lot of money again, so he knew kind of both sides of the coin. Or how about Louisa May Alcott, the author of Little Women? She said, money is the root of all evil, yet it is such a useful root, we cannot get on without it any more than we can without potatoes. <laughs> Thanks, Louisa. And then I found a few funny memes parodying this line. If money is the root of all evil, why does the church keep begging for it? That's a good question, actually. Uh, how can money be the root of all evil when shopping is the cure for all sadness? Which it's not, but... Uh, or how about money is the root of all evil, so I spend all of mine before it can corrupt me? That is one plan. Okay, but money is the root of all evil. That statement is only almost true because it's actually a misquotation of the scripture. Did you notice that when... Robbie read it for us a minute ago from 1 Timothy. What the scripture actually says is, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, not money itself. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a very small difference that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the verse comes to us from a letter we call 1 Timothy. Claims to be a letter of Paul, but most biblical scholars would say it probably was written by someone who was a follower of Paul after Paul had died. But it's a letter trying to do the same thing that all the letters in the New Testament are trying to do, which is help early churches with advice and counsel. Problems that the writer sees in the early church, trying to give them encouragement and help about how to deal with some of these problems. And one of the problems that the writer of 1 Timothy sees is some people in the community are very concerned with getting and keeping money. He says, hey, people who don't follow the teachings of Jesus, they fall into all kinds of trouble. He says they, they create controversy or they crave controversy. You ever know anybody like that who just wants drama for drama's sake? And they stir up envy and slander, and they wind up imagining that, he says, godliness is a means of gain. 
So in other words, they fall into thinking that somehow being a Christian is going to make them rich. He says, but those who want to be rich, they fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So it's not money that's the problem. Money is necessary to a certain degree in life. It's the pursuit of money that's the problem. The scripture is asking us, what are you striving for? What are you longing for? What are you dreaming of? What are you putting your attention and your hope and your energy toward? Do you put your hope in the future and how much money you can make? Like my brother had a coworker once who had as his goal to be in the top 1% of wage earners by the time he was 40. That was one of his major life goals. Is the pursuit of money high on your priority list? If so, it could well get in the way of your pursuit of other things like love and justice and Christian maturity. Now, it's not that being rich is wrong or bad. Okay, the scripture writer, he reminds us, we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But it's not that being rich is wrong or bad. It just doesn't get you eternal life. Being rich isn't going to draw you any closer to God. It's no advantage in the Christian life to be rich. Money is no advantage in the Christian life. Just stop for a second and hold that with me. Money is no advantage in the Christian life. And we might want to argue, but the more money I have, the more I can give away. Which is true. But you know, God isn't tallying up points and ranking us according to who gives away more money. If we have a lot of money, for certain, God wants us to be incredibly generous. But that doesn't make us any better in God's eyes than the person who's so poor they can't pay for a place to sleep. Money doesn't give you any advantage in the Christian life. Well, that's okay, you might say. Money gives me plenty of advantage in every other part of my life, which is also true to a point. You know, repeated studies have shown that increasing wealth does increase more happiness up to a certain level. And then after that level, more money doesn't make us any happier at all. And what do you think that point is where we reach peak happiness? What income level do we need? Well, a 2018 study from Purdue University found that it's a salary of $95,000, which to some of us might sound like a lot, but it's not super rich by any means. $95,000, that's where we kind of max out on life satisfaction and emotional well-being in the U.S. Once a person starts making more than $105,000 annual, they actually report being less happy than people who make less money. And the idea is that, yeah, we've got basic needs to meet, right? People who don't have to worry about paying their mortgage or who can afford reliable transportation, they are happier on a day-to-day -day basis than people who are struggling just to make it. But once we have our basic needs met, including needs like good health care and the ability to take a vacation and the ability to pay for our kids to go to school, then after that, money doesn't actually do anything to increase our happiness. Instead, more money just gets us caught up in trying to keep up with other people. 
Other studies have repeatedly shown that everyone thinks they need to be just a little, have a little bit more, that their life would be better if they had a little bit more and that they're not really rich, but if they had more, then they would be. Like even people that make over a million dollars, they'll say, no, we're not rich. <laughs> it's the people that make a million and a half dollars a year. They're the rich ones. And if I just had a little bit more, my life would be better. But it's simply not true. Instead, our love of money, our craving for more money, has the potential to bring about the greatest harm in our lives. The pursuit of money has the potential to alienate us from our families if we work too many hours trying to get that next promotion or that bigger paycheck. Our love of money, our pursuit of money, has the potential to break apart our relationships as anyone who's ever been caught in an inheritance dispute with their siblings can tell you. The love of money has the potential to convince us to step over people or use people to try to get to that next paycheck goal. The love of money keeps shareholders insisting on more and more profits, not ever asking what corners companies are cutting in order to get there. The love of money has people like Jeff Bezos racking up more and more profits while his workers at Amazon struggle to make a living wage or work in safe conditions. The love of money has Facebook pursuing more and more ad revenue without giving appropriate attention to privacy rights or paying attention to the role that they spread, that they have in spreading falsehood and lies. It is not hard for us to look around the world and see that the love of money, the pursuit of money, can lead us down a thousand paths toward evil. The love of money threatens at every turn to draw us away from God and God's ways. The love of money is a source of destruction and pain in our world. And I said before, the love of money doesn't, or having money doesn't give us any advantage in the Christian life. But there is a positive side, actually, to that statement. And that is to remember that our value is not connected to our wealth. Your value as a person is not connected to your wealth. Now, the world will not tell us this. We tend to value and respect and give favors to rich people much more than we do the poor. But in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, the person who has a hefty pension coming in every month is worth exactly the same as the person who has to go to the food pantry. And this is really good news for us friends, because it frees us from our attachment to money. When we remember that God values us just for being us, not for what we earn or what we do or how productive we are, then we can let go of some of that anxiety we have about what we earn and what we do and how productive we are. God loves us, and God wants to save us because we're us, not because of some achievement or some paycheck that we've earned. If the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and we want to be on guard against it, which is hard, because we're invited to love money at about every turn. You know, football games, which I maybe shouldn't bring up football this week in Nebraska. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. But, you know, football games are filled with commercials for Lexus cars, not because the majority of people watching the game can ever afford a Lexus but because Lexus wants us all to sit there and aspire to own a Lexus. But we, Christian people, we don't want to love money. So what should we love instead? 
Well, the Bible has all kinds of suggestions for that. It asks us to focus our hearts instead on loving kindness and loving mercy and loving hospitality and loving encouragement and loving healing. Oh, what would it be like if the world pursued those things the way it pursues money? The writer of 1 Timothy encourages us to find our contentedness in God, not in our paycheck. And he says, to those of you that are already rich, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant, don't be in love with your money and be generous. Be overwhelmingly generous when you have a chance. It's in generosity that we see that money itself is not what's evil. Money itself has the power to do tremendous good. And thankfully, Jesus and Paul and the church for its whole life has depended on, benefited from rich people who have been overwhelmingly generous. You know, Jesus, he never earned a paycheck. Instead, he relied on the generosity of other people, including some women, to fund his ministry. Paul, Paul started churches in the houses of wealthy people. The church's mission and ministry has always been fueled in part by people who have a lot to give, which is why money itself is not what's evil. It's the love of money that gets us into trouble. In other words, the scripture is concerned with what's in our hearts, not with what's in our checking accounts. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, almost all of us here online we're really rich, you know, in the standards of the world, this world where like a billion people live on less than $2 a day, we're all really rich. And a great many of us at St. Paul's pay our bills month to month without much worry. So I think that the question this verse asks of us, the hard question that it asks of us today is, how much is enough? How much is enough? When do I know that I have enough? and that I've spent enough. Think again about the question raised by Preachers and Sneakers, that Instagram account. Okay, I'm your preacher. I need shoes. I, I do not want to go through the world barefoot. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to preach in Air Jordans, and I also am not going to go get like $1,300 Louis Vuitton pumps. Okay? $1,300 for a pair of shoes. Can't do it. Don't need that. But where do I draw the line between no shoes and $1,300 shoes? Where's the appropriate spot in the middle of that? Do I just do whatever I can afford? Or is there something else for me to consider? How much is too much to spend on shoes? Or on clothes? Or on our house? I mean, when we go house shopping, do we just buy the absolute biggest and newest house we can afford? Or do we use something else to help us decide what's enough? Something else beside, well, can I make the payment? With that question in mind, how much is enough? And I don't have an answer for you for that today. I'm just going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit to discern together. But with that question in mind, how much is enough? The spiritual challenge that I have for you today is to take a moment this week, this week, to consider your monthly and annual budget. Do you have a budget? Do you work off of a budget? Like one actually written down on paper or on a spreadsheet on your computer? If so, take a moment this week to reflect on it. If not, make one, just even a rough one, and ask yourself, is my money going where I want it to go? Or have I tied myself up in certain places so that I have to put too much emphasis on getting more and more money? 
And if you're feeling extra anxious or over-controlled by your finances, I hope that you'll reach out and we can have a conversation so we can talk about it and maybe find some resources to help you move to a new place. So look over your household spending this week and ask yourself some spiritual questions like, are we being as generous as we want to be? Where can we let go of some of our attachment to money? Where can we say, you know what, we've got enough, and let's put our money to better use than just spending it on ourselves. When we let go of the love of money, we will find room to love so many other things, things that nurture our souls, things that draw us closer to God. So my prayer is that in the week ahead, our days will be filled with the pursuit of love and generosity and peace. Thanks be to God. Amen.